You're listening to Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, Brian, stage 16 of the Giro d'Italia, we're making our way to Aprica and some rare drops of rain in this very dry, very sunny Giro d'Italia so far. Brian, we feel a long way from Sicily and Ortigia, where Lionel and I stayed over a week ago now, and I took Lionel for some therapy, and I took him for some canolo therapy, which was very successful, as we heard. But sports psychology, well, it's a growing field, isn't it? It's a field for which there is ever more interest in the world of professional sport. You used to be a team manager. You were the team manager of Leopard Trek. Did you enlist the help of a psychologist back then? No, Daniel, I, I didn't. But thinking back, that probably would have been a good idea. You know, this, these are serious matters, so I'm, you know, not that I want to joke about it, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy time uh, to run a, a cycling team and yeah, at least we grew like together in the management because we had a very tough team owner. But I think in general for the riders, it's something that you know when when you've seen that back in the day, sports directors they had all kinds of you know like the Swiss Army knife of of management, and they had to you know help riders with everything. And now what we've seen over the last ten years it is that trainers have taken that job from the sports directors, and then the psychological element is often and at least more often than than before being looked after by you know professionals people who really do that for a living and, and know the the inner dealings of of how the minds of sports people work well brian it's not a completely new development if you go back to the mid 60s there were already gurus svengalis and proper certified psychologists who were working with cyclists in the probably the former category there was a guy working with Gianni Motta in the mid 60s a gentleman called Gianni Aldo De Donato who was giving him pills advice since then in more modern times teams have enlisted employed mental coaches psychologists on a freelance basis part-time basis and now increasingly in the world tour we see some teams who have psychologists or mental coaches on their staff Jumbo Visma have used a mental coach frequently over the last few years. Team UAE do not. And Tade Pogacar has not, I'm told, used any kind of psychologist, sports psychologist, um, mind guru up to this point in his career. A couple of teams have full-time psychologists. Um, Trek Segafredo employed Elisabetta Borgia earlier this year. She was at the Giro, she was at the Grande Partenza in Hungary. And there is one team here, Brian for whom a sports psychologist is a permanent fixture on the bus every morning at the Giro, and that is Ineos Grenadiers. A gentleman called Robbie Anderson has been working for the team since the start of the year and is present here every day at the Giro. I spoke to Robbie earlier this week about his role and how one gets inside the mind of the professional cyclist. Yeah, so I uh, started off in a, in a really sporty family, so super sporty parents. I uh, played a lot of sport myself as well, so that's kind of like a, a baptism of sport. And then uh, through a couple of injuries, I, I got really interested in psychology of sport. 
went off to university, studied a lot, um, and then along the way, it, it made a bit of a transfer, really, from having a lot of knowledge about it to, to applying it. Um, and then over the last couple of years, uh, I've been working with England Rugby, so I was in this kind of like world I grew up in and knew it very well. Uh, but I got an opportunity to meet Dave, and Dave kind of had this vision that he really wanted to push people as a priority of the team, which obviously in my line of work is, is gold just to hear that. Um, so we had a bit of a meeting, we looked at what the opportunity was going to be, and I just think Ineos is one of the teams at the minute who's, who's looking at the whole athlete, you know, the whole team. So that's what I'm, I'm here for now, is to kind of have a, a 24-7 focus on people. You know, we've got guys in the team who are thinking about aerodynamics or nutrition or how to prepare the body. And my role pretty much 24-7, along with Dave and Rod and other people, is to, is to think about our people. The team's gone through a bit of a transition in the sense, just a natural one in the sense that obviously Chris Froome left a couple of years ago and it's been a, a team with a sort of new complexion with Egan becoming the um, the leader and the winner of the tour. And then, then Rod talked about a bit more of a pivot this winter in lots of different respects. New new people came on board, including you. Um, but is that also how you see your role as changing a culture a little bit this year? Yeah, I, th- I think like when you look at where this team is... Um, and you look at like what, what we're trying to do. You know, we, we obviously we still want to be very efficient, and we want to be very effective, and we want to race. You know, in a, in a, in a way that is uh, sensible. And but equally, you've got like a generation of riders now, like a slightly younger generation coming through. Uh, and this area, the tactics of racing, is not my area. But when you look at what the team wants to do, you know, we actually want to help people to be at their best, to develop, to push, and, and to compete. Now, it doesn't actually matter if that's the youngest people. So if you take, for example, our, our makeup of our squad, we've got six under 23s. <laughs> We've got 12 over 30s. So you can't just suddenly change and say, right, we're all about this younger generation. You've got to really look at a whole squad, the complexity of a whole squad, the complexity of a whole team. Uh, take the best parts of your past, and then you've got to turn like a new page. So I think what I'm seeing on this uh, particular race, for example, I'm seeing DSs who have got loads of experience. I've got coaches who have got loads of experience. I've got riders on this bus. I and mean, I think our, our average age here is about 29. So you've got a real mixture of people. Uh, and I think one thing we're trying to do as a team is just get the best out of each other and make sure if we can we're, we're influencing performance every day Tell me about your first impact your first encounter with the team and were there any moments that made you well really opened your eyes and, and sort of shocked you obviously you say you've come from rugby and you've worked in other sports as well I guess but cycling is a weird weird world there are some real peculiarities about this world I think there's a couple of things I mean in, in January uh, December and January we got together as a team uh, the first thing that, that really struck me is obviously the, 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 the huge collection of different cultures. You know, we've got different age ranges, as I've just said. So you've got this like melting pot. Uh, the next thing that really interested me is obviously the, the, the endurance nature of the sport. So people are out there putting massive amount of time in. Uh, we had a session in the preseason with the riders and we just looked at like what some of the challenges are. I was curious, you know, I'm, I'm here at the minute. A very much reason why I'm on this tour is to actually just learn a lot about the sport. You know, like I said, pre-race, during race, post-race. So we looked at what the challenges are. You know, you've got things like travel, time away from family, a long time. You've got the actual suffering part of this sport. You know, a very, very unique part of, of this sport is the amount of time you're going to spend really putting yourself to the, the extreme of it. Uh, and for me, that was fascinating because I'm thinking to myself, OK, we've got this international blend. You've got uh, dynamics around commitment. You've got, obviously, concentration at certain parts of this sport. Uh, and, and if you put all that together it's like a psychologist's dream isn't it you know an area where actually and, I, and one more thing I'll put on that is a willingness a genuine willingness of what I've found in this team for people to say hey what can we learn you know how, how can we use this you know uh, let's sit down and have a coffee and let's look at it and that, that's 
that's really exciting. Do you have the latitude to and the will to also get involved in people's private lives? And I mean, you know, it's very common now to see a therapist in all works of life, all ages, all generations. Is that something that you you do look at and you do talk to the guys about, or is it maybe something that you only get involved in if they volunteer and ask for your help? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I trained as a psychologist. You train in general psychology. Um, and obviously what that gives me is the, is the ability along a continuum if you were looking at kind of performance at one end and then potentially you get into areas of difficulty whether that's on the bike or off the bike and then eventually you, you would be in a kind of a mental health situation now I'd like to think uh, generally here we're, we're trying to cover the whole person you know the whole person so if somebody comes in and there's an issue which is distracting them or detracting from their performance of course we'd support them you know, but I'd like to think we'd, we'd do that with anyone, not just because it's performance, because it's the right thing to do. So uh, I, I collaborate closely with the medical team uh, when it's necessary to, but equally, I, you know, I'm in the performance meeting every night and we're really, and this is interesting actually in psychology, so the, the kind of some of the research that's been done shows you that the most effective interventions aren't by the psychologists. You know, the most effective ones would be by the coach or the people who have got the, the long-standing relationship. So again, if you think about it that way, we're, we're like a 360 degrees support mechanism and uh, whether that's on or off the bike to help these guys, you know, be happy people and therefore that, that transfers often into their performance. One of the things that when people think about sports psychology and think about sports like golf, darts, snooker, gymnastics, they, they think about mental blocks and often it's in sports in which the action itself is quite sort of stationary and people are, uh, you know, can kind of get lost in their head. Am I right to think that in cycling you know, it's more about how to suffer and how to find the why of suffering? Is it, would, you, would you say that's, that's true to, a, to some extent? I think like, what I do is I take a step back from this and I think, right, let's look at the brain and what we know about it. So uh, we, we know that the brain in certain situations tries to defend us, tries to protect us. And one of the ways it does that is to shut down. It's a freeze mechanism. So in the wild, it's a very good survival mechanism. We know in sport that freezing isn't always the ideal. So your examples there, your kind of snooker, your football, the famous penalty scenario, that's a good example where unfortunately that brain has shut down and we know that's probably the last thing we want it to do. Now I imagine there'll be situations in cycling, um, you know, do you or do you not close the gap? You know, are you on descending, you know, you might have uh, some, some kind of unhelpful thoughts coming in. Of course, there could be the brain again is going to do what's healthy but not necessarily helpful um but the key thing here i would want to push is very individual approach you know this doesn't mean that every single cyclist is going to be having these kind of blocks at certain points equally with suffering if you're really clear what you you've got this massive ambition and you want to go after it and you put the time into your training and maybe put a bit of time into into the training of your mind as well there's no reason to say that it always has to be about problems you know it can be about optimization it can be about looking for percentage gains you know, so actually you, you, you flip the psychology into something which is about optimising performance, not just overcoming uh, setbacks and challenges. We've had the psychologists in the past and worked with a lot of different people and stuff like that and just having someone like Robbie on the board full time it just gives you a little bit of like uh, confidence you know that you can relax and if you need to speak to someone if it's been a stressful day or just a bit of a calming atmosphere as well you know Ben Swift in your screen ideas. No I think for me you know it's uh, there's different people that react to different situations differently and I think for me it's not someone that I really work super closely with but I've got a great relationship with him you know it's it's more about just having that familiar face and a good chat and just having a bit of like a 
like a not a depressurization, but just a good, good friendly face to have a better banter with. Do, do you think it's something we'll see in the future that every team will have a psychologist on board full time? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think if we're trying to make this sport grow, it's a highly pressured environment and a stressful, uh, like especially a Grand Tour, you know. So uh, it's just how you integrate all that and bring it into the race environment. And what he's learning now is it's a two way relationship as well, you know. So what he's learning from us, we're learning from him also, you know. I don't want to pick out specific teams, but when I think back to you running for Katusha 12 years ago, I mean, how much has changed in terms of the environment, the way an environment is created in which people can thrive? Oh, massively, massively. I think for me there, it would have been probably really important to have someone like that, you know, because it was in such a, an alien environment, a complete different language change, different cultures, different way of working. And I was so young as well, you know, so it was... To have somebody there, I was kind of left on my own a lot. But that was also the the times, you know, you were left to fend for yourself a, a lot. So I think having someone like that now, for especially for the younger guys who are working the way, you know, it used to fall onto the older riders a lot, whereas obviously I'm speaking with little Ben a lot and just trying to bring the group together. But having someone else, if, if there is something really going off in the team or something like that, but I, to be honest, the atmosphere, whether that's with Robbie or just the whole team in general here, has been fantastic. You know, so many different cultures and... Uh, backgrounds in this team that we've got here is we've all come together so good at the minute and yeah I'm really happy here quite unusual to I think it's maybe unique to have a psychologist with a team for a whole grand tour how is your work set up here is it sort of systematic that you see every rider and see them every day or is it who wants it when they want it how does it work yeah you know I kind of uh, well for starters it's not systematic there's absolutely no no uh, kind of compulsory expectation I think one of the key things for me is to spend time with the team build relationships um me personally I, I when I did my training I always quite like the analogy of being a bit more like a chair you know you're around for when people need it um but obviously as well what we did is as I've said we did work in the pre-season we've got work ongoing which is about building a culture uh, knowledge about you know what, what optimal preparation looks like how to manage your mind how to manage your emotions uh, and therefore that that transfers itself into performance so it's not so much you have to sit down and you have to do X amount of work, but actually a lot of people and some of the riders 100% do say, right, I've got this race coming up. These are some of the obstacles I've got. Can we do some work on it? So the, the kind of analogy I'd use for that is it's fitness. It's fitness, isn't it? You know, you, you want to improve any area of the human body. You invest a period of time, ideally with a coach, because they can give you a bit, of, a bit of steer and a bit of support. And the mind is no different. So some people have fantastic natural psychological fitness. They just appear to be able to be super resilient. And other people say, hey, do you know what? If I worked on this, can I, can I improve it? Um, so for me, again, it's about building that relationship and transferring what's appropriate into a big race like this. So here, if I'm the chair in the background, no problem. You know, no problem. <laughs> no ego on this one. <laughs> I mean, one thing about this sport, Robbie, that you've probably noticed is kind of fetishised and mythologised is suffering. And people talk a lot about it. They talk about the epic nature of races. And in the last few years, people have talk, started to talk a lot about things like duty of care and obviously the need to protect riders' mental health and physical health as well. 
I guess it's it's quite a tightrope walk for for teams for riders as well. You know, in terms of weight loss and time away from the family, and also just hurting themselves physically. How delicate is that dance? Yeah, I mean, I, I come at it as a, a practitioner with a, with a fundamental focus on on the person. So let, let's start by: Is this person in a good place? And that's a question I would ask them 100%. You know, so if they said to me, "Yeah, I'm in a great place, and you know, I'm really up for this opportunity," then then already we're on a level footing. If somebody came to me and said, "You know what? I'm not in a good place. I've got these challenges in my life, or I've got these worries," then let's help them to address them. You know, it, it's competitive sport. It, it's an it's a, an area where the nature of what you're going to do is going to push your body and your mind to its limits. So for me, it's about having a team that recognizes that and supports the person within that. So what you don't need in a competitive sport is a team which makes it even harder for you. You want a team that says, hey, we recognise this challenge and we're with you. So let's have a look at the plan, let's have a look at the challenges. Have you got the support you need? That's the team, I reckon, that will support people, to, like you said, to, to kind of face the inherent challenges of, of sport. Do you notice a difference between generations, between the people in their early 20s and their late 20s, early 30s? <laughs> Crikey, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm in that older one now, so besides more wrinkles. Um, well, you know, this is interesting. If So let's, let's look at some facts on this. So this kind of Generation Z thing, yeah? Okay, so that's, that's about two and a half billion people globally, all right? So it's not really helpful to say this generation, you know? For me, I'm looking at individual people. Uh, what we have seen with the guys who are coming into our youngest rider, uh, Magnus Sheffield, this year. I mean, wow, this guy's got a maturity which I think is, is commendable, you know. And uh, but they all come in; they, they can access information now. They're, they're, they're reading a lot, they're listening a lot. You know, they've got good knowledge of, of sport, good knowledge of sports science. So, more anxious? Are they more anxious? Uh, I, th- I think again, that's such a generalisation, isn't it? You know, I, I think um, the key thing for me is to look at the individual. So, if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, it's my first Grand Tour." And I'm a little bit worried about it. Hey, that's a, that's a normal response for a new situation. So the brain should say, this is new. How are we going to... What I'm looking at is how do we support them? Might be clarity of expectation. Might be what their role is on a given day. It might be, hey, if you have a good day or a bad day, how, how are we going to cope with it? So now this person says, wow, you know, I'm not just left on my own with any particular fears. So I think it's less about saying, are they more anxious? And more about saying, what do we expect and are we helping them? You mentioned the multinational, multicultural element of this sport in general. Your team's also quite multinational. You've got an Ecuadorian rider in the pink jersey. Uh, how easy is the communication with him? I mean, I know he understands English, but does it limit your power of intervention when there is a language barrier? It's something we've looked at as a team, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm relatively new in post, so I'm, I'm currently exploring that myself. You know, we have considered whether we bring in different uh, multilingual psychs into the team would that give us another dynamic and that's something I'm, I'm really open-minded to look at what we have got for now is a, a support group around any of our riders who obviously are, are perfectly fluent and often therefore bilingual so I, I feel that the needs of our riders are getting covered perhaps not directly by me but I'll be working I mean it's interesting I'm here on the Giro but yesterday I'm speaking to coaches about the guys going to Norway about our guys te- prepping for the Tour de France so again, it's okay for me to work with the people around the rider who obviously can translate that as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, hey, it's a new world probably as much for sport inviting psychology in for psychology to look at sport and say, do we have to look at how we build our teams and our support networks? And fair play in India, the fact that I'm here would suggest they're going to look at how to optimise people. And just lastly, I'm Richard, the very nature of a stage race and professional cycling is such that if you're in the leader's jersey you're midway through the competition and you've got something to lose rather than something to gain. I mean, you could also say he's got something to lose because he's the favourite and he's won this race before. How do you tackle that particular 
problem, dilemma. Well, that's a matter of perception, isn't it? So if we all run on that perception, then of course that's the, that's the story you'll run. So the brain doesn't uh, process a negative. So, so what I mean by that is if I say to you, don't think of an elephant, your brain does it, okay? So what's a far better way to do is to say, right, what do we want the brain to focus on? So what are we going to do today? So we'll have lots of conversations around our team plan every day, where our opportunities are, you know, make sure the riders are very clear of that and are happy with that, are bought into that. So actually when they're going onto the race, we're not looking at six days time. We're not looking at, you know, we're thinking about what are we going to execute? How are we going to do that as a team? So now the brain is very much focused on the plan as opposed to, like you said, what, what we might be losing. It's not a helpful way to do it. So yeah, I think prepare the brain to do what you want it to do and that will certainly help more than focusing on what you don't want it to do. During this series of Kilometre Zero we've been hearing from Team Novo Nordisk rider Sam Brand who's a type 1 diabetic. This is his audio diary from the recent tour of Hellas. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Sam Brand here from Team Nova Nordisk. Uh, getting into stage four now, and uh, you got to make sure that you're on top of the diabetes management because things can change between the first, second, third, fourth day. As a team, we're staying on top of our own control, our own management, and and for me, stage three or four is uh, a point where I have to really, you know, focus on that management because, like I say, things change a lot. So, going into stage four, um, should come down to a sprint finish. So, look to put Andrea up there again, support him, do what we can to give him the best opportunity to do the best he can do you know super proud of him he's doing ace and really proud of the team working strong and uh, yeah we're going to give it absolutely everything it was uh, a very good day for us again you know we um Coming into the finish, we had a good lead. I was sitting with Andrea and the boys. I was on the front for the last 20K. There was a big crash at the end, uh, but Andrea was able to avoid this and put himself in fourth. So uh, we're really happy. Now it's time to go and sort of relax, recuperate. Tomorrow is going to be the Queen stage, a big day. So thank you very much for the support. We ride to show what's possible with diabetes uh, for Team Nova Nordisk and, and we couldn't do it without your support. So thank you. Brian, one of the most interesting contributions to the conversation about psychology and sports, sports psychology, that I heard or that I have heard recently was in a German podcast with the former footballer Andre Schuller who talked about how he had been hampered for a long time in his career by a kind of obsessive compulsive disorder or certainly in his case a particular ritual and the ritual was knocking on wood and this became so obtrusive and so invasive for him that it interfered with his normal daily functioning, his training, his preparation for matches. He discussed it with his coaches, his managers. Thomas Tuchel, the Chelsea manager, was one of the coaches who particularly helped him with it. But we hear a lot about this in professional cycling and in all sports, don't we? Rituals. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not to say that I don't have certain rituals as well. Oh, you definitely do. Yeah, there, there you go. Maybe you could also be my psych- psychologist as we... Not, we... We haven't even mentioned Lionel and his rucksack of doom yet. Yeah, now it's gone. You know, um, 
Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's probably more prevalent at a stage race because there's a lot of repetition. You know, a lot of you know, you, you actually to lose to not sorry to not lose energy. It's it's quite important to to put a stretch of your shit together. Really, you know, don't want to lose time on on missing things, things that you can't find. You and I probably could have a conversation about that, and just sort of make sure to make sure that you you you're well rested and you don't have any worries, uh, unnecessary worries at least. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people have. It's probably more fair to call it habits than it, calling it rituals, because rituals also has a little bit of a of, of a scent of of something that's unnecessary or something that's a bit odd. Habits. And I think habits in the ground too definitely aren't, especially if they help you relax. Habit forming is uh, an area that's gained a lot of interest in what was certainly popular psychology. There was a book written recently by a guy called James Clear called Atomic Habits about the, the compound interest of building habits and how effective they can be. But as you say, in Grand Tours, I think riders are particularly inclined to fall back on them, to use them, to harness them. And... They lend the illusion of control, don't they? In a, a chaotic world, in a chaotic time, in a chaotic profession for the riders here at the Giro d'Italia, they lend the illusion of some control. Uh, hi, I'm Cesare Benedetti, rider for Bora Hans Grohe. I get a coffee before leaving the bus. And then a little pray uh, when I'm on the start line, thinking about my family back home and uh, just wishing to to stay healthy and go back home healthy after the after the race. Uh, my name is Roger Klug and I'm riding for Lotus Sedat. I'm just always last, but that is not really a, a ritual. It's not a so everybody's almost ready from the team would say with food and radio, but I'm my pockets are still empty, so I'm always going back and. If you want to tell it the ritual, yeah, I put in the, the radio last. You never know if you have to go again to the toilet, then you always have to unplug so it. And experience more than anything. Yeah, maybe, maybe it comes by age. Uh, Michael Hepburn, right for Buck Exchange Jaco. Uh, I'm a pretty OCD person, to be honest. I just like to be basically as organised as I can in my entire life. So um, I don't really like change too much and preach a habit. Uh, you know, like packing bags, this sort of stuff. Um, you know, the way you put on shoes and then clean the shoes. Pretty easy cycling shoes actually slip onto, but always go the left one first and the right. The, buckle, the buckles you do up in like in a, in a certain certain way, then clean them. Always the same getting dressed as well, the same order of, of stuff on. What do you think happens if you don't do this? Nothing. Nothing. I've accepted that nothing will happen, but, you know, i just got a way of doing it. I like to stick to it. When I'm on the bike, it's probably the, the least OCD I am in my entire life. Um, you know, actually, teammate Chris Jensen here takes the mickey out of me a little bit, just saying that uh, you know I've got to relax a bit more and, and you not know, let, let this stuff get to me. But uh, actually, when I'm on the bike, uh, it's better. Jordan Browski, Astana. Yeah, you see some guys always with the same pair of glasses. I mean, the one that comes to mind, I don't know if it's really a ritual for him or why he does it, but Garen Thomas always wears those Oakleys from like 15 years ago. Uh, but yeah, I mean, or glasses or socks or I don't know. I've worn the same pair of shorts all the Giro. I wouldn't say it's a ritual. I just, these ones are comfortable. Laziness. Yeah, laziness, exactly. Uh, I wouldn't say I really have rituals, but. Grand Tours are so repetitive in the sense that it's so many days back to back. 
I guess it is, well, habits form automatically and they become important, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you need to get into that routine and uh, then it also it takes the thinking away from everything else, which, like, you only have so much energy to put into the race, so you don't want to spend it thinking about this and that. Ben Swift in your Screnadiers? Nothing too much, really. Maybe it'll just, like, the odd little thing that's just kind of been inbred in us. Like, you know, if you got number 13, you'd be a little bit like, oof. But luckily, my name never really falls with the number 13, so... But nothing really, you know, is... I'm a believer in stuff happens for a reason and stuff like that, but then you never really want to tempt fate. You know, when I was in UAE, we never passed the salt on the table. That's a typical Italian, an Italian typical, team. And then you get Ronu who'd knock it over on purpose in front of him, you know, so, you know, it's like, you never want to tempt fate, that's for sure. On a day like this, a really, really hard day, do you have any rituals sort of, in terms of your, your internal monologue, what you say to yourself, songs, I don't know, you play back in your head yeah. or anything like that? No, it's just about just trying to relax and having like faith in your own abilities. You know, I always kind of try to say to myself that throughout the week or like throughout the race, I've I've shown to myself that I'm going all right. And then like if I'm hurting, then a lot of other people are hurting. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like that, but you know, you can always kind of feel or like try and trick yourself that way around. But you know, when you've got a leader like Carapaz and such a strong team, I think we've seen the one day we had a slight. I wouldn't say bad day, but I think we got caught out was on the Turin stage. Where, but apart from that, if you look, saw, I think it was the blockhouse stage. Apart from Castro, who had a crash, he did a bit of work before. We had seven guys leading into the bottom of the blockhouse, whereas most of the other teams didn't. They had like two or three guys. So, and then like saw yesterday, uh, Sunday, we had five guys, and two of us were working on the front. So, you know, we've got a lot of strength in depth and. We're in a fortunate position to have the jersey now, so that gives us extra motivation. It's a really unique thing, isn't it? Um, again, I, li- I like to kind of like go back to the basics on this. If you think about it, what helps you is unique to you. So if you said to me, hey, Robbie, the best thing for me uh, when I wake up is I like to have a cold shower and then I like to have a certain breakfast because that consistency gives me a sense of stability, okay? Now, unless what you're suggesting is completely and utterly against sports science and somebody tells me that's the worst thing you could possibly do, more fool anyone for trying to tinker and change that. What my job sometimes to do is to help people reflect on whether what they're doing is helping them. So actually for them to reflect, for them to say, hey, me wearing this lucky bracelet stabilises me, good for them. And I actually mean that. You know, That's why, by the way, I, I can't do off the peg. I'm not putting me coming in here and saying, hey, guys, here is what all eight of you need to do to be ready. That, that would be probably schoolboy error. However, what I can do is, with them over a season, reflect on some of the things they're doing, get them to think, is it helpful or is it not? You know, And that's not only unique to you, that's us as a team. So the way that we're talking to people, the way we're interacting with people, some of our habits, are they helpful to the riders? And now you go from the individual to the collective, and that's a really, really good place. So yeah, nothing wrong with rituals, just make sure they're serving you well and uh, not actually tripping you up. <laughs> I won't ask you to reveal any of the stranger ones in the team, but I'm sure there are a few. <laughs> no comment. Right, Brian. Be careful of this bus, okay? It's, it's not a team bus, like but color? bus. Oh, a peach. 
Peach, a peach pest. Beautiful bus. peach, but off. How many times have you done that? Cristo today? Santo. That is actually a ritual. Your phone drops to the ground more often than Sakharin does. Well, I think we should should we rechristen the phone? Il Nur. <laughs> I think that's got potential to stick. Well, maybe Brian, like a, Brian kind of the helmet. ritual of dropping my phone gives me the illusion of control, as already discussed. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Free, and Lionel Byrne.